it's this total dilemma because I've been, I've been, you know, in this frustrated mode for months about whether or not and where <laughs> and how to get a haircut. It's been in Mexico and Portugal and Greece, like all these places, Turkey. And, it, and so then a couple of nights ago, and Chloe says, we're watching this film with Clint Eastwood. I go, oh, good. Which one is it? And he goes, Bridges of Madison County. So I don't know if you ever saw it. You have to watch this film, especially if you're studying, you know, creating building love that lasts. This lasted their whole life. And uh, so, so in the movie, though, Clint Eastwood has this amazing, he's like, he's like, what, 40 years old? So he's like this handsome, strong man with his hair that's just, you know, flowing out like this. And so now I can't go to that barber and get my hair razored off like I usually do. I have to kind of grow it for another six months and see what's happening. But this is my report. And Chloe? <laughs> My report is different from the experiments um, that we that were offered to do last week. Uh, we were in Hoi An, which is where we live, and we're walking down the street and really nothing is happening. It's like very early in the morning and the streets are pretty much empty. And we, we walk into this tea shop that's called Reaching Out and this beautiful, I, I'll show you my teacup that I bought, handmade teacup from Vietnam, hand-painted, hand-metal like metal done and everything. It's beautiful. And we walk into this, this shop and this guy looks at Clinton and says, I've seen you before. I recognize you from somewhere. And I'm like, oh my God, this is another guy who has a past life with Clinton. But it happens <laughs> like every six months we get a guy who has a past life with Clinton. And we end up chatting this guy who's in, in Vietnam, he was a veteran, he was there he was here during the war and came back after the war as a healing process for him and try to discover who these Vietnamese people really were. And he's been really helping uh, the community. So all these people who are doing, doing these, these teacups are um, disabled. So some kind of physical or sort of mental disability. So all the women who are serving the tea are um, deaf, mute, mute and, and deaf. And so no. I've learned a little bit of mute deaf language from a friend back uh, when I was young. So anyway, but in terms of the experiment was this synchronicity, you know, to, to give space in our life for synchronicity. And, um, and I, I just, I remember when my life was uh, like every second, especially when I was a lawyer, it's like every second had to be put to the most efficient use. Like every, I, I had to be doing something productive every second. And last week when Clinton offered this experiment of let give breath into your life for something else than efficiency. And, um, and so that's an example of us just walking down the street was like sort of purposeless. We were just didn't have a purpose. We were just really breathing in the city. That's one of my reports. Thank you. As we're warming up here, some of you have really good excuses for not having been here at the previous meetings, but 
what what I'd really like to know is what anything from your experiments. Has anybody done any of the experiments that we've been suggesting? And particularly, hello, Phyllis, you're back from mm -hmm. somewhere. Do you, can you give us some kind of report from what you've been up to? Oh, um, <laughs> all kinds of things. Um, and I guess the best report I can give is that the U.S. tour stayed at my house for cl up close to a week, and it was very fun. It was it, it started by me picking up Sky and Aquarius from the train station, and and I noticed my assumption. I was like looking up here, <laughs> like for them, and I've seen them. You know, I've met them both personally on Zoom, never in person, and. And they were right in front of me. <laughs> and I didn't, I was looking out here. So that was, that was an interesting experiment for me. Because um, I, I realize I do that a lot. I do that on a regular basis. And so I don't see sometimes what's right in front of me. And we got to my house and immediately we started talking about logistics. And one of the logistics was the bathroom. And because five people staying in my house and two bathrooms, one is attached to my bedroom and I wanted my bathroom to myself and I felt really like I couldn't do that. And immediately both of them worked on me. What do you want? <laughs> it was like this whole pleaser thing of me was like, oh yeah, okay, well, I want my bathroom. I don't want to share it. it it's, it's not right. It doesn't feel right. doesn't feel hospitable. But I, so that's how it began. And, um, and it was wonderful in that, in that respect. So right, right now I'm in Las Vegas, which is, oh, I'm supporting a, an 18 year old in his, first adventure of leaving home and going to school and um, and uh, I'm here with his parents and it's been really fun supporting him emotionally. He's a very emotional kid. So um, that's what I'm doing now. I, 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 I don't know what else. Yeah, I've been doing several experiments. And it's 6 a.m. And so I'm just, I'm like, huh? What? I have to talk? <laughs> Thank you. Actually, where we wanted you to talk was, I've been doing several experiments and then telling us what the experiments are. But the rest of it was amazing. So. <laughs> yeah, this time thing was pretty wild. It's 8 o'clock at night here in Vietnam. It's been dark for two hours. been pouring rain all day. Places wow. are flooded, and we haven't stepped one foot outside today. Okay, anybody else? Something to share like that? Something? Yes, Eva. Uh, it wasn't really an experiment, but synchronicity happened this morning. And it was when I was up really early, and then I was on Telegram, and I saw and Chloe's post about the Rage Club Spaceholder training happening next week. And I thought, Oh God, I want more Rage Club happening. And so I just went and forwarded it in all my Rage Club groups. 
and and I wanted to do that. And there was this little part was which was saying, oh, like wait a minute. So for these people are going to get rage club space holders. So so who's going to come to my rage clubs? So but still I did it, and I was I was happy to do it. And like two seconds later, although it was I don't know six thirty a.m. I had a reaction from one of the participants saying, oh, yeah, you know, I just wanted to call you and ask you if you want to hold space for Rage Club in Göttingen and do a weekend here and I would organize the workshop. Hmm. So, so there it was synchronicity and, and possibility and just the opposite of what this little part was scared of. So I was the, the scared survival part, you know, yeah. the scarcity part. Yeah. yeah. Ah, uh, great. Thank you for that. <clears throat> God, there's this song from, what's her name, about, about thank you. It's like the uh, more, Alanis Morissette. Yeah, Alanis the more, The more you let go of it, the more you, the more you receive it. The more you jump off of it, the more you touch down. I mean, it's, it's great words from that song. Thank you. Anybody else? Hi. Michelle. Yes. yes. Hi. I was listening to the to the study group. I've been listening to the study group and I have been finding it like major big food <laughs> and nourishment. And the day that I was about to listen to this synchronicity study group, the last one. I got a call from somebody who said, I need, I need help to host someone who's coming to your area to take her loved one to a clinic. And it's a clinic for addiction, like an ibogaine clinic or something. And I called this person and I said, yes, you can stay here. I can definitely host you. I'm sorry that you're going through that. And we start talking, talking, talking. And it turns out that she's a, a healer who has a very big center in Northern California. And so she's inviting me to, to come over and run host programs in her retreat space in Northern California. And like a minute later, I listen, or a few minutes later, I listen to, to the study group. And so my <laughs> synchronicity was you guys. <laughs> so you, you did it first. You did the experiment <laughs> before we told you what it was. Exactly, exactly. And, and beautiful, I, I really enjoyed, appreciated what, um, what was talked about here about the little hesitation. And for me, the hesitation was with this friend. I was like, whoa, okay, I'm going to host somebody. And how is that going to go? And I'm so busy. And so my mind going to that and then, no, I'm in service. And this is someone who's needing help. And I'm going to do it anyway. But I, I, do, I did have that small piece of, oh, do I offer? And then I did. And then that happened. So I appreciate what was shared before about that. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, all these examples so far actually are, are examples of building love that lasts. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're experiments. They're, we try. We like helping other people, providing service, listening, creating possibility. All of these things are huge 
components of building love that lasts. Uh, so I'm going to start, I'm going to dive into this part of the book. We're on page 209, section oh, six. Clinton? Yes. Uh, I think Isabel, Isabel wanted to say something. Isabel, go ahead. Yes. I did the experiment. What, what will I become or what I am with a nurtured soul and heart? And that experiment was at the beginning it was really hard for me because there were like yeah voices in my head okay i'm writing this just to be adaptive or like to because of other people and then okay it took a time and i slowed down and then my heart, hand it was like the hammer experiment in in the lab where i felt the connection from my heart and my and my hand and i started to write and write and it yeah it's more like a like a poem or it's colorful and and metaphoric what i wrote and thank you for it? that experiment You're not yes gonna read I, it. Not the whole thing, but just read part of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I wrote it in German. Ah, yeah. Also done. You can Deutsch verstehen. Okay. Not really. If you can say it in English for a couple of sentences, that would be great. <clears throat> okay. I, I will read it first in German. It's not so much. Mein Haus werde ich weißeln. Es grün und braun streicheln. Eine Runde drehen, nach Hause zurückkehren und wieder in der Mitte ankommen. Blaue Blumen sehen. Verstehen ist nicht das Erreichte. Einfach sein im Jetzt. Schmerz ist ein Freund. Zerfließt ist wert. Für mich, für die Welt, ich bin. And for those of you who don't yet speak enough German, it was good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Isabel. I was there, Ingrid, was there, did you want to say something? You're muted. Yeah, yeah I want to share, I was last week, deeply touched by the proposal of the experiment to speak to the potential of the of someone and up to 90% or even more. And um, I did that uh, consciously twice in, in one time in a circle, in a meeting of board members, there were 12 people. And uh, another time uh, with my husband. And what it, what it did was, first of all, it was easier for me to have the courage to, 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 to pick my courage and simply to speak what I have to say. Uh, 
so so there were fear fear was there but and it was a a fear on the new map of fear so so this this was one thing and the other thing was even if if proposal were not picked up it 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 was i stayed happy i st <laughs> i stayed in my joy and 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 what i noticed also it was like i brought really my culture into the space and and uh, in the group it was really um, I, I had a bad experience with that group. And at the end of that meeting, which was three hours, I noticed totally different atmosphere. And there was something like a like a common a common space was created. And it everybody felt it. Everybody felt it. And and it it was such a joyful experience for me just and 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 i noticed at the same time i gave a shit if they picked up what i proposed or or what whatever and and it i felt so free uh, in that and yeah some some things were nevertheless picked up at the end and and uh, it was very Joyful, just joyful is the word. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, that was such an exact description, Ingrid. It's really an exact description. So I'm really happy that you did that. I hope more people try that a lot because why not be happy? Why not create? Why not? You ex expose yourself to these vast potentials that these beings represent right in front of you in your life. Yeah, thank you. I want to add that um, in Eugene at the Youth Detention Center about um, 10 years ago, they, they decided to do that model. Um, actually, a friend of mine presented it to them and they decided to use it and they and from what I understand, they've noticed significant changes in particularly the boys that are in the detention center and um, changes toward well-being, just less um, when they get out, there's less, they don't commit the crimes that got them into the jail again. There's there's a lot, I think the, the word is recidivism, recidiv I can't even pronounce it, recidivism yeah. or something mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it really, it really works. I mean, it really is helpful. It, it, um, it uplifts rather than our typically, especially the American way of parenting is to, and teaching too, is to um, give consequences. And this is looking at the behavior, even if it's fighting and looking at what the bright principles are behind the behavior. Oh, you know, you, you're really loyal or you're really, um, you know, you really love this person. And, you know, and, and yeah, so.
That's Thank all I want yes. to say. That's good. And everybody should remember rule number three, which is don't get arrested. So <laughs> yeah. that's good. Clinton, before you go into the book, or if that was next, I wanted to share some kind of research that came up in the possibilitator training DAH yesterday. And that I've been sort of chewing on or thinking about, and it's about the, the survival strategy that I seem to meet often lately about this, if your survival strategy is to control, then how do you get out of control without more control? Or like if your survival strategy is to manipulate yourself, how do you Uh, do experiments, for example, without it being a manipulation. So somebody who's so, like when the construct is so tight and so small of, um, I mean, the example I, I gave uh, yesterday, but it was, I was anorexic. When I was uh, 17 years old, I became anorexic. And anorexia is, it's only about control. It's about controlling everything. And because the only thing that I could really control was food, but I became obsessively uh, controlling about this. And when I started doing the work, for example, with my gremlin and putting my gremlin on a diet, I, it was so clear to me that I could not put physical food. I, I could not include physical food as part of my gremlin diet because my gremlin already had a, a, a hold of my physical food diet. So it was like to, to try to control my gremlin, to transform my gremlin, who's a control freak, it just doesn't work. And so I think some of us are really stuck in this thing. Like the other example was somebody is stuck in this prison of manipulating himself to do what he doesn't want to do, but also to do what he wants to do. It's just the, the, his whole life is about manipulating himself to just be. You know, what he should do is just, it comes out of manipulation. And so even to do an experiment for transformation becomes manipulation. Okay, so how do you transform a construct like such a prison when even the attempt of transformation is held by the construct? Does that make any sense what I'm talking about? And so, okay. And so I, it's... So I've been sort of thinking about it, about like, how do we get out of that? How do we, how do we get out of um, this sort of what I call the catch 22? Like another example, I'm just giving an example, um, is somebody who is stuck in the construct of she has to know, like her, her entire existence is only possible if she knows. She knows who she is, if she knows who her partner is, who knows what she's going to do next, who knows what's the path to become a good possibilitator, who, if she knows, then she's, and we were trying to discover the way out of knowing and her way out of knowing is knowing how to get out of knowing. Yeah. And so she's stuck. She is stuck in there. And so I, I just sort of wanted to put on the table as this research of a, a construct, a really survival construct that we keep bouncing against the wall of is I think to some degree is to find a, lit, a, a small gap, even if it's like a paper thin gap, where there's some freedom of movement, where an action or breath, a thought, a move 
might not come out of the construct. Like if you can find one thing that is not about control, or is not about manipulation, or is not about knowing, or is not about uh, looking good, or it's not, I don't, you know, whatever prison, then there's this chance of a, a little freedom of movement. And that's where you are. It's like, that's where your being can come through. That's where your adult has, even if it's 1%, you know, of, of your life, 1%. And, and to, it, it's like, I don't know if you've ever, you know, for people who drive, I don't drive, but it's like you try to do parallel parking and you have 10, you have five centimeter from the car across from, you know, in front of you and five centimeter in the car behind you. And you have to go, <laughs> you know, to be able to get out, you know, and you do that, you have to do a hundred times because somebody stuck you, you know, in that parking place. Well, I think it's sort of, it's the same, it's the same movement. And uh, the, the bigger picture, for example, the way I got out of, of anorexia and it took years, it took five, six, seven years um, to really get out of this prison of control was to replace control with something more interesting. It's like, so I wasn't trying to get rid of control by controlling myself to not control myself because that just doesn't work. But it's like, it's in this 1%, in this little gap is, is there anything more interesting, more feeding, more nourishing than control? And then to make that space bigger and bigger and bigger until it, it's basically more than 51%. And then, then that becomes what is at the center of your life instead of the survival thing. I would like to add on to that. Thank you, Chloe. This is really amazing stuff. I'd like to add on to it in that the thing in that gap, whatever you try that's in that gap will probably make you look bad. Mm. It will not match your previous identity because then, because your identity is controlled. Your identity is manipulated. And the thing that's in the gap will not fulfill the requirements of your identity. And so a hint for you to try this experiment is do things that, especially if they make you look bad. And it's, that might mean to reveal a weakness, to reveal something that you want that's embarrassing, to let your, what you say, like let your pants down. I don't know, it's like to reveal yourself, to get naked or like get, <clears throat> because, because the rest of it's fake. The show is fake, the box is fake, the personality is fake, strategy is fake, the manipulation is fake, the control is fake. And how are you supposed to be in relationship or relating? How can you relate if you're fake? Because it just, so how do you find the part that's not fake? <clears throat> it will feel bad. You will look bad. It will be embarrassing. It'll be scary. And so that would be an experiment for this week is to once a day do something where you look bad and, and not just something ridiculous like 
you know, wear a asparagus in your pocket, you know, or whatever. It's it's really more like letting yourself be known, letting yourself be seen, or being where you lose, essentially where you lose. It is, it's not a it, to look weird or be extraordinary. It's to actually reveal your your incompetence in a way. Reveal reveal a place where you don't know. You go to the place where you don't know and, and connect there. Speak out from there, from the place where you're not sure. Take, you know, take that risk. That would be this experiment is once a day, look bad. Try to find this gap where between one thing and another, where you don't have control and you don't have, you don't understand and you don't know and you connect through there. So try to connect through the gap even when you look bad. Thank you. Somebody just, Dor just said, yeah, uh, they, uh, they made a little video about how to look bad. Dor makes these great videos. So if you get a chance, click on that. And uh, don't copy what Dor does because that's cheating. <laughs> try other stuff. Thank you, Dor. <laughs> it's just an important piece to get about how much of our programming for relating or how much of our strategy for relating is based on fake stuff, really fake. And then you're not satisfied. The other person is not satisfied. Gaia is not satisfied. Hmm. We've got this huge amount of genius and we use it to lie. We use it to deceive other people about who we really are or make up shit about ourselves and believe it and then beat ourselves up. And then and it's all fake. And this is what we're using our genius for. What do you think Gaia feels about that? You were not, you, genius was not given to us to, you know, to implement the fake part. We have such a capacity for authenticity and for, for connecting and for, exploring together and taking risks and starting over again and again and again. And, and the looking bad thing can really be kind of like your hors d'oeuvre or, you know, the appetizer for any kind of interaction. It's like, if you're not looking bad, it's fake. If you, if you, don't, you don't feel like it's, you're looking bad, it's, it's probably polished. You probably rehearsed it in your mind. You probably imitating somebody else, you know, and it's fake. So this is really an invitation to go through the gap and, and you'll know that because it feels bad. Thank you. Mark, were you gonna say something? I just wanted clarity on that. Are we referring to the box is gonna, <clears throat> the box is gonna be the feeling bad? Not necessarily me. Once I'm done, I might feel awesome. It's letting go of the acting, coming from my authentic self, which is terrified, saying something that nobody else is saying, and getting into a different space. I was a little confused about who's feeling bad. Yeah, you get it box. now. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, 
and it's not acting. I was taught to act, be a good boy, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I can't really tell. You know, when I, when I have this reaction of feeling bad, it, you know, it's, it's probably my box, you know, it's my box and I can't tell the difference because it's, you know, I still have my box. So I, I can't go around expecting to be able to have this gap between me and my box all the time and go, oh, yeah, I'm feeling bad, but that's just my box. You know, that's whatever, that's Superman or something like that. You know, where we are, it's like you feel bad and you go, okay, I feel bad, let's go there. And, and yeah, don't get, don't get caught up too much in, well, is this my box that feels bad or is it my uncle that feels bad or is it my mother feels bad? Who's feeling bad here? You know, it's like, just go for it. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I want to say something about that because um, yeah, I, I just was holding space for Fear Club now again, and last time uh, in the healing circle. I mean, it's so amazing how much it always uh, fits into it. And what I noticed this feeling bad, or what I wanted to talk about today is, um, is I, 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 I would say that this is limitations. I call it my limitations. When I realize there's there's a participant's gremlin trying to do something, or when I realize that, uh, like, I mean, I mean, I'm so glad that you say that now, Clinton. That it's about feeling bad and being okay with that, and knowing that this is, yeah, my 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 space holder box telling me, oh, I should know, or. I, I should give a proper feedback now, or I, I should make it more clear for other participants what's going on, or I should uh, make a door or whatever. And actually this all is happening by me looking bad instead of uh, figuring it out of how to do it. I'm, I'm the projection or what happened was that the participant could project on me and therefore make other participants see what's going on and give her feedback in a way uh, that would not happen if it wouldn't happen. Like if, if, I, if, if I would not look bad in a way, like it was much more a research process by me letting go than doing the being the one doing the thing right or whatever yeah thank you thank you so much thank you mm -hmm. thank you so by way of looking bad i wanted to say how wonderful i feel to have gotten to be with so many of you this summer one way or another physically actually in your presence and they get to hang out for a while in these different spaces. And then here we are on the screen, but I have this just real weak, joyful gladness about unreasonable joy about having gotten to see and be with you guys and meet some of you for the first time even uh, this summer. And, and then here we are in this space. Yeah, thank you.
was somebody going to say something? I couldn't tell if people were putting their hands up or just doing this. Somebody was going to say something? Okay. Okay. Well, this section in the book is called 27 Experiments for Creating Extraordinary Human Relationship. And it, so I think we're going to get lambasted with experiments. And I don't know how far we'll get, but I, I, it's, a, it's a treasure box full of radical experiments to do for radical relating. So I didn't look it over. I'm just going to read what it says, <clears throat> page 209. These 27 experiments help build a foundation for adult responsibility and extraordinary human relating. The difficulty here is that extraordinary human relating is generated through ongoing nonlinear creation for which there can never be a methodical system. Nonlinear creating means something that works once will not necessarily ever work again in the history of the universe. And that's a daunting, I mean, that's not, it is a daunting consideration that the Romans, the Greeks, the, the forlorns, that's a, a group that's going to exist in the future. Like it will, it will never, ever, nobody, somebody will never do that same thing again. <clears throat> and so you go, gosh, well, how many original things have I ever done in my life, actually? And you go, God, it's time I did this. And it took so much energy and so much attention and so much effort. And it's like, well, okay. And when you, when you jack into your actual resources, which are your feelings and emotions and your bright principles and your archetypal lineage and your gremlin and echo and et cetera, there's all these huge, vast resources they can provide you with this, but you, you don't get to get access to the unknown through the known. You don't get the nonlinear through the known. It's not something that you can know. And so again, if what this is saying is that extraordinary human relating is generated through ongoing nonlinear creating for which there can never be a methodical system. So you can't ever have done it before then those resources can come through for you, but you can't be there. You, like, like Mark, you were talking about having your box in control, your box in charge. Well, you don't, you don't get to be in charge when these resources are pumping through nonlinear possibilities into your space of relating. And it, it will blow your box away. And then you, and you get to be okay with that because that's where nonlinear relating comes from. So, you know, that says something that works once will never necessarily ever work again in the history of the universe. And then again, it might. There are no guaranteed formulas. Extraordinary human relating demands that you take fierce, reasonless responsibility for ongoingly creating the possibility of extraordinary human love in your space, in your relating 
that you take responsibility for that with no reason behind it. There's no rules for making this happen. The hint is keep trying. There's this suggestion for a film, which is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. So how many people have seen Groundhog Day? Yay. Yay, door. <laughs> I try to watch. I I try to watch it. I think I downloaded it. What happened? I don't know. Right. Thank you. Okay. Well, good. Finally, we found a movie that a lot of people have seen. Good. I hope you make your matrix code into the start over game so we get some points with that one. Yes, because it's a film of him trying, keeping trying. Remember, these are experiments. So the things that will follow, the things we're going to dive into soon here, are experiments. Some of the experiments are simple actions that take a few moments and are repeated over and over again as an experiment. Some are subtle or fundamental attitude shifts that show up as a totally new tactical approach to problems or potential conflicts or possibilities. Other experiments may take days or weeks to try, but might be done only once in a lifetime. So there's a variety of experiments coming down the tubes here, which should, which should freak you out. You know, it start like, getting your, your engine going on all 12 cylinders. Like this is 27 major experiments. While experimenting, it can be both wise and practical to adopt the perspective of old Lodge Skins, who's a character <clears throat> in another film called Little Big Man. How many people have seen Little Big Man? Oh, not enough, not enough, not in Dustin Hoffman, you guys, Dustin Hoffman. God, little big man, it's a little- it's a, Say the German title. Yeah, kleine Manne, uh, I don't know how to say it. Little big man, that's his name, you can't- I think, yeah, it's, it's the same in German. It's the same. Cannot translate somebody's name in a different language. That's his name. And the old Lodge Skins is this ancient Indian who, who he's this incredible guy. And he, he says, sometimes the magic works, sometimes it does not. So that's the hint about doing these experiments is to, if it does not work, don't attribute it to anything except the, the magical part of it, which is sometimes it works and sometimes it does not. That does not mean that the universe is bereft of magic or that you're a failure or that it could mean that there's too many frogs in the room and you just didn't count how many frogs. And that was an important ingredient to the experiments. You just don't know. And so sometimes the magic works, sometimes it doesn't, shift go, try the next experiment. So that's the hint about these. Each experiment works in its own dimensions. And there are a lot of dimensions that we can have experiments in. This is what's so great about the domain of possibility that is so different from the ordinary domains because the ordinary domains is possible to get bored. Anybody ever been bored before? 
It means you're standing with your back to an open door to a new domain, but your back is toward it. So turn around. Every time you feel bored, turn around and try to go through the door that's behind you. This is a great hint. So that would be an experiment if you mm -hmm. feel bored at any point during the week. Just turn around quickly and go through the door that you didn't see behind you and say whatever it is you say or do whatever you do to go through that door. Isn't that escaping? Isn't that the, the back door? No, because this is <laughs> That's about- That's what I order. usually do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've survived, I bet. Come on, you, you have survived. I mean, it's important to know when to, to escape. Really, it's not a bad thing to know when to escape. I'm alive, you're alive. Each one of you is alive because your ancestors knew when to escape. If you look back at your, the history of your family, like, you know, my, my great grandparents knew when to leave Chechnya and escape to America because they would have been just wiped out because of their religion's beliefs. They would have been burned at the stake and they knew when to leave. So I survived. And each one of you has ancestors who looked around and went, shit, it's time to get out of here. And they knew when to leave. So I really, I really hope you pay attention to that niggling little fear that probably many of you have right now. It depends where you live. But it might not be a good place to stick around where you are right now. I'm talking actually physically, you know, what part of the world you're living in. Might be time to get out of there. And some of you are nomads, some of you are on the road, and some of you are hanging out in a place where you're getting some sensations that you should get out of there and you're not listening to it. So I really hope you listen to those things because it's important to me that you survive. Can, so, can I share something about that? Go ahead. I think I'm thinking about uh, going to the States, which is probably not the a place I don't know if it's the, the place to go right now, if you're talking about dangerous places, but there's a, a woman that I, I'm in a relationship with and I wanna be with her. So I, I start to get this sense that I need to go. And then I'm, I'm thinking about what should I do? Should I sell my car? And my car suddenly starting to break down, just like to, to signal me, like sell me so you can get out of here. Like all these things start to happen to push me. And when I ignore that, I start to feel like things are getting worse like, and tell me like, just go, just go, something like that. Yes, there are signs, but then you should watch uh, The Life of Brian, which is a Monty Python movie where people get over obsessed about signs. So they're <laughs> running down the road, picking up broken sandals and squash and, uh, and uh, uh, anything they can find and go, it's a sign, it's a sign. No, don't get upset. You have to. The, the, the magic of signs is important. You can't be there again. You don't get to be there and decide in your mind in your box and analyze with reasons. It's about moving first and finding reasons later, something like that. I wanted to say something uh, slightly different for Habet and about this thing of escaping. And and in a way it is, I mean, it is, it is escaping boredom. It is escaping ordinary. And somehow I really, there's this uh, idea and it, and it also cross over into the spiritual domain of, you know, you have to take the path of most resistance, 
it's like as if the path has to be hard and 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 difficult and heavy and 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 it's like i don't i don't that is not my experience it's like what if you instead of engaging in an ordinary heavy blaming assumption resentment resentment and try to un how do you say like unpack it to try to get to the bottom of it it's like there's no bottom to an ordinary relationship it just keeps going and and the escape into an extraordinary one or non-linear one or just another space it's like why not why not to escape into that to have access to something else thank you sorry i had to write that down My beat books are full of things that Anne Chloe says. There's no bottom to an ordinary relationship. Okay, then. So, so the, what I was saying was each experiment works in its own dimensions in plural, meaning it has, and I was saying how wonderful that is, that, that because the ordinary, ordinary domains is possible to get bored in, but in the extraordinary domains, there's so many dimensions that you can't really get tired or bored of any of them because there's so many. There's like, there's so many unexplored, uncountable, unmeasurable. That's what, that's what archetypal means. It's unmeasurable, it's limitless, beyond, you just can't package it up into something because it's archetypal. So those are the kinds of dimensions that nonlinear experiments work in. <clears throat> but what this means is it's tough for the mind because the, the results of one experiment may or may not have any connection to the results of another experiment. Like you, you they don't build on each other. So you might try something this and it, creates this amazing in, intense you know intimacy and possibility and it's like okay okay and then you do the next experiment and you go what the heck was that it has nothing to do with this it's in a completely different domain and those domains have value and that so i keep i would encourage you to keep exploring both the experiments that work and the ones that do not work because the domains are, are so diverse and rich as resources. You can conduct your experiments like the conductor of an orchestra, choosing which experiments to try when, how intensely, and deciding how to harmonize the mood of each experiment with the other experiments when you're doing more than one experiment at a time. As I'm not saying you should do that, but you could. As you conduct your life's concerto, consider this. How would your relating be if moment to moment you consciously knew that every move you made while being together was a living improvised experiment and that this is how it's supposed to be? Rather than trying to map your behavior onto some strategy for relating or some measurement scale about how should I be feeling right now or what should happen next 
Well, where's the script? Instead of trying to do that, this is saying that being together is a living improvised experiment. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it goes. So here's experiment number one. Do not complain to anyone, your partner, your neighbor, do not complain. No matter what is happening, make zero derogatory comments about anything, even under your breath, even secretly to the side. Notice whatever you notice and decide whatever you decide and do whatever you do, but along the way, do not complain. Not even one little squeak of a complaint. Not even <clears throat> like that. That's a complaint. So catch yourself before you're about to complain. See, complaining places you in which position in the drama triangle? This is a Victim. test question. It's a test question. Whoever had your microphone on yesterday. Yes, the victim. If you complain, you're a victim. And if you're in low drama, your gremlin's in charge and you're out of relating. You're out, you leave extraordinary. So complaining immediately takes you out of the extraordinary. You become adaptive and manipulating. Life is not low drama. If there is something to complain about, then instead make a proposal. Instead of complaining, you create a new possibility. If you decide not to make a proposal, then be happy how it is, how it's going. Because if you're making a proposal, then you're being responsibly, you're responsibly engaging what's happening. If you're not making a proposal, you're not participating and you're just doing the low drama thing. So when you make a proposal, a lot of times people try to calculate whether their proposal will be accepted or not before they make their proposal. And they also try to weave compromise into their proposal. So you look at the person, you go, okay, well, they, they probably won't wanna do too much or pay too much or change too much or so I'm going to make my proposal, I'm going to diminish my proposal to fit and compromise into some imagination I have about who that other person is. And then you've already killed your proposal. You've already moved out of the domain of extraordinary. So this experiment is when you is to make your proposals bold and fierce and and as authentically accurate as possible to what you want. And without destroying the other person's uh, options to say no, to say yes. I mean, what if you make this immensely wild proposal and the person across from you says, yes, hell yes. I've been waiting for you to say something like this. Let's go. And, and you were about to diminish it down, you know, you minimized your proposals to, well, what about we try this or, you know, you just whatever, you don't do that or, and you just 
minimize your proposals. Instead, take, take your proposal and, and lay it out. So there are even proposals that you can make that you don't think are possible. And just because you don't know how to do it does not mean that the other person does not know how to do it or somebody they know does not know how to do it or somebody you know, they might know how to do it because they have resources, they have experience, they have training, they have connections and, and they know how to do this. And just because they never thought of it before because nobody made the proposal before and you're the one to make the proposal even though you don't know how to do it. So just this little set of experiments with checking about your complaining and instead making proposals and making your proposals full out, you know, cutting loose with your proposals, this is a whole new chapter of your life. So any comments about this possibility? Go ahead. Yeah, maybe this is more about probably some, some teamwork, but it also includes extraordinary relating but this thing about proposal is also, maybe it will come later in the experiment, but is to be sort of fanatical about the proposal that you make. And to consider, for example, that I'm in a team with a bunch of people who are geniuses and kind of full, playing full out and, and, and happy. And if I make a proposal and they say, yes, go, that doesn't mean they're going to help me with my proposal. That, that doesn't mean they're going to be with me while I unfold my proposal. Like, they're not going to do it for me. They're not even, even going to... It's like they have their own proposal that they're unfolding and they're being happy about or something like that. And so I really learned to be sort of fanatical about a proposal that is turning me on for a while, for a while, and then to realize that I then I can drop it whenever I want to drop it. But it's to... It's to it's to, it's to commit to my own turn on and w whether or not other people are with me because who knows who might join my proposal that is not around me yet. Something like that. Yeah. That you don't need, yeah. the, you don't need the support of your partner or your teammates or your, and, and, or the, or the, or the only support they might have is go and to do it anyway. Anyway, if, even if it's, that's just what you get, it's a go. Thank you. Andrea, I haven't heard your voice for a while. Can you say something with regards to this at all? Comment? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really have anything to say about that that's coming to my mind at the moment. Okay. I want to say something. Let's see if I could have a video. <laughs> um, I also think that, or, or what I have it in my brain is not only with other people, not only in a team, it's with myself. Every time that I find myself before complaining, changing that to my myself, I think is exactly what uh, Enclode just said or related to that. I understand it in a way, and it's powerful. I love it. It's great to see it in that way. Thank you. 
And Andrea, thank you for just letting us hear your voice. That was nice. Anyway, thank, thank you. you. <clears throat> Anybody else, anything about experiment number one? How many, how many people will try experiment number one this week? Excellent. What would the world be like? What would your world be like if not only, if, if complaints were not woven into the day? But that if, if how you're being with people you meet casually or the people you meet formally and complaining was just left behind in the dust. It's just not part of it. How much more energy would you have? Yes. And one thing that I uh, discovered a few years ago is that I had a, it was a technique for me to complain as a way to create a first connection. I would get on the phone or I would meet somebody and it was, oh, God, it, you know, my, it was so long. The travel was so long or there's so many people on the street or God, I, it's too hot or, and it was just this first way of connecting. And I've been practicing of uh, these thoughts. So I dropped the first thought and I let, even I dropped the second thought and then let the first, I let the third thought speak, which leaves a gap of silence often over a few seconds. But um it was incredible to discover how my first thought was so often complaining. So I think that could be part of the experiment of like not to, to, to do not complain is to notice it and then drop it and even drop maybe the second thought that comes and go for the third one, the third thought or the third impulse. And Chloe, what? you have to say, the name Terry Pratchett, you're going to say that. The Tiffany, I was. Aching, the Tiffany Aching series books from Terry Pratchett, he talks about second thoughts and third thoughts. Anybody read those Terry Pratchett books about Tiffany Aching? And not enough. So, Kinu? Yes. Okay. No. All right. Yeah, it's a... It's, uh, Okay, yeah, so it's the practice of using your second thoughts and your third thoughts as resources, because usually we've been trained in school to come up with the one right answer, and we say the first thing that comes to our mind, and then that's the end of the story. But in fact, there's these huge resources behind us that could keep going if we're willing to let them. So you just hold back, and you put the first thought on the shelf, the second thought on the sh shelf, the third thought on the shelf, and... Who knows, maybe it's the fifth thought that you have that has the power in it. But if you waste, you know, if you, if you establish the space based on your first thought, you end up oftentimes with a, a survival strategy speaking for you, which could often be complaining, for example, or blaming or resenting or et cetera. So diminishing things, yeah. So that's part of that complaining thing. All right then. So experiment number two, be radiantly happy. So you have to remember that the first title of this book was Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. So it was based on the title of the book, Be Radiantly Happy. Most of us 
have squelched our happiness down to the level of happiness tolerated in a bank lobby. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have managed yourself to diminish your joy, your expression and presence of uh, aliveness of, of presence. You've turned it down so that nobody would complain if you're standing in line at the post office. You know, because that's what we were trained. You know, our, your mom would beat you if you were squirming around and giggling and you know making noise in the bank. Oh my God, you have to be quieter in the bank than you are in church. You know, this bank is the new church. It's this religious place. You have to go in <gasps> hush. You have to be so quiet in a bank. I don't. I don't know. Maybe you guys are doing online banking. You haven't been in a bank recently, but really, next time you see your bank, just walk in. Just stand there for a few minutes, look at the people, and then start going, <coughs> start like laughing at the people being so quiet and fart. Really walk into the bank after you've saved up a really good fart and just cut it loose. Just <coughs> like you walk in and then see what people do. I mean, then walk out again. So this would be really, but to find out the proof of it, it's like there's this whole, this religious section around the bank where you've got to be quiet and we've adopted that and you've adopted it. And this experiment number two is to be radiantly happy. So it is far more acceptable these days to be cool than to be happy. Un so the experiment is to unsquelch your happiness. So squelch is this, just the volume control. And so you turn down your volume control, you keep it down, you know, if it's 10, you're down around two down around kind of barely whispering. And so this experiment is to crank it up to about seven or eight or nine, because I don't know, you know, we've been, we've survived the COVID so far. You have, everybody, um, there's no corpses talking on this call. So you, you don't have any joy about that? I mean, you know, a million people died out there, you know, from the drugs even. And so, so here you are, you survived that. Where's your celebration for that? I mean, the actual experience of presence is celebratory. If you're, if you're not celebrating, you're not actually present. I mean, you might feel sad or fear or rage. You might feel these huge feelings. And as an adult, there's this celebration to feel fear. It's a celebration to feel rage and sadness. It's a celebration of presence. And so that this powerful experience of aliveness in presence, and then, and then you've been trained from long ago, you made old decisions or whatever to cramp yourself down into like a straitjacket in your emotional body, it's, this also cuts down your ecstasy. It, it diminishes your ecstasy. And so a lot of this experiment is about how, how intensely do you allow yourself to say, mm, when the orange juice is really good. I mean, how many people have seen What About Bob, the movie What About Bob? Not enough, not enough. Oh, 
Manuela, you saw what about Bob? Okay, I don't, I don't hear you saying mm as loud as him though. He, has, he gives you these lessons on how to say mm. What are you gonna say? You gonna say something, Manuela? No, you, you asked uh, why I'm not uh, saying anything because my, my microphone was muted, that's why. <laughs> okay, thank you. It's a really good excuse. So look at what about Bob is a must. You have to, you have to have seen it five times probably. You guys are way behind, far behind. All right, you'll understand a lot more about life after you've seen what about Bob. So this is about ecstasy and allowing yourself to in, in flow, like let the, let the juice of the ecstatic ecstasy of celebrating presence flow through you and, and have, it, like, have it be visible. Like let, it, it will bother a few people. I mean, who it really bothers is you. That's who is bothering, is you because you've got this picture of yourself of how you're supposed to be, how you should be, what your mother's gonna say, what your father, the teacher, your brother or sister, the priest, the banker. God, what are these people gonna say? You know what? And so this all is determining your ability to just be present. And if you can't be present, how are you gonna relate? So these experiments are valuable. They, they're not just trivial. And so don't be surprised if while you're doing these experiments, you have emotional healing processes to do that come up in you. When the fear comes up or the grief of how, un how, how, how turned down you have been for all this life, what about Bob? So, so, so this is a practice of turning it up, like letting it be as big as it actually is. This isn't about forcing yourself trying to be exuberant or trying to show off about how happy you are. Like there's some people we know who do that. And it's not about that. It's simply about cutting loose on the, on the squelch, on the, on the volume control. Like let it be, let it go where it should go. So the experiment is discover and connect into the source of being happy for no reason. This is what I mean, celebratory presence. There isn't not a reason behind it. So you can, if you, if you get a chance, take a look at children who are less than three years old, they, they'll give you a little example about it because they'll just go nutso for no reason in the middle of anywhere. They'll just make faces and dance around and do weird shit and, and you just, you go, okay, okay. This is what you were before you were squelched down. And, and, Yes, children cannot be responsible. So now you get to be insanely happy in your presence and ecstatic experience of presence and responsible. And so responsible does not mean squelched down. Responsible means you clean up your messes or you hold spaces that include people instead of excluding people or you navigate the space using your joy. So this is what responsible this is what the free and natural adult can do but it's the whole the whole adult thing about being serious has been overrated it's just completely shut down a lot of people's enjoyment and most of the joy is so the cause is is really small like 
I like I was out buying this weird fruit at this stand here in Vietnam a couple of days ago. And the lady uh, gave me these other little fruits. I, I go, can you eat these? I don't understand a word she's saying. And she goes, yeah, you can eat these. So I get them home and I, I just look at them for a couple of days and I just cut one open today. And it's just this sour green thing. It smelled like a baby unripe green mango. And so what am I, it's this big, you know, and so I was happy about it. I threw it away. I smelled it. I offered it for including a smell. It smelled like a baby unripe mango and I threw it away and I was happy about it. So there are things that are just, to have, they don't have to make sense. Like I'm, what I'm saying is there's all these small things that don't have to fit some picture of what making you happy should be. Like there's this, there's, you have this access to joyousness that's unreasonable doesn't match, doesn't shrink into the domain of reasons. Can I say so, something? Yes. Just wanna, one experiment that I did about this was I, so maybe it doesn't apply to a lot of people here, but I'm a nomad. And so I live in a 10 kilogram suitcase. And so I had, I had nothing superfluous. It's like I only had clothes that I could wear and books that I could write in and my computer. And an experiment I did was to carry things that are not, that I don't really need, but that really, I have, I mean, really this, I'm going to show you this teapot. I'm like really happy about this teapot. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like I'm going to be here two months. I don't know how I'm going to carry this to my next place. It was like 50 bucks or something. I mean, it's unreasonable for a teapot. I can buy like a two euro teapot here in Vietnam and but I, I learned to have to allow myself to have this exuberance of carrying a few things that I don't really need, but that I but I, that make me happy. And it, and in terms, of the experiment was also part of like being a, a sorceress or a wizard is to have these weird kind of quirks. There are parts I think, and I think it's related to this joy is like that you have things that you love and it it's unreasonable. Like it makes no sense to other people why you love wooden spoon or why you want to buy indigenous sewed clothing or you carry, you know, too many books, <laughs> you carry too many books with you, whatever, but to kind of celebrate uh, your quirkiness. To own well, your so that would, that's an experiment. Is, is starting today for the rest of the week and maybe for the rest of the month or the year or whatever, Grab something that you just love having around for no reason and strap it on you. Just strap it on. Wear it on your belt, wear it around your neck, keep it in your pocket, and just have this thing around you just because you like it, because for no reason. And it doesn't even have to be something you like. This is but 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 you know, most of us dress nicely. You know, we have, I look at every single one of you. You know, I mean, Sky Blue took his hat off, but everybody else had on, had got on these outfits, you know, these really nice outfits. You look civilized, you're well-dressed. And so the point here is to kind of imagine Renaissance, a Renaissance thing, which is like, which is what this is. This is a, a rebirth. Renaissance means to be born again. So this whole experiment thing is about being born again, start over, we call it. 
renaissance is start over. So grab something and wear it, carry it around with you. And even if it uses one of your hands for a while, or you know, you gotta carry an extra bag or something over your shoulder and just put some weird stuff in there just to carry it around. You know, like I got this, I got this little guy and I've been carrying him around for like for for I don't know a long time. He's this bronze, he's he's small little old guy. He's got a walking stick. I got him in time. What do you have in I have a frog. You have a frog. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm carrying this guy around. Okay. But so what do you what's I don't know. It's, gosh, we've been this it's about being happy. It's about not being happy. It's about <laughs> You know, we do this, there's an experiment. How many people have been in a feelings orchestra? People have been in a feelings orchestra. Not enough. God. And so it's simply, you divide people up into four quadrants in a room and the mad, sad, glad, and scared map. You put it on the floor with tape. And then you have people go there. And then you have people warm up in their various instruments. It's like an orchestra. So the angry people, they go, Arr! And the sad people, they, they cry. And the scared people, they, ah! And then the happy people, you go, okay, be happy in the warming up your instruments and the be happy of the orchestra. And they go, ah, 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 like this, like they do on television talk shows or, or these game shows on the TV. It's not happiness. It's this fake Hollywood pretend. It, we don't know how to do that. It's the worst one out of all four. And so that's that's really what we're talking about is if you can't find your way home into the ecstasy of presence, how are you gonna relate to somebody else and share that? How can you share that with somebody else? And that's a kind of intimacy you will want to be able to share. That is definitely this kind of intimacy to share. And so the experiment, like this one experiment of just finding, you know, carrying around so that you're suited up, like carry a couple of things around that, that you just like having them around you. Maybe you don't even know what that is. You know, maybe you have so much stuff that you don't like any of it. And, and but find, um, this experiment in the particular is find one or two things, carry them around, and just have them with you and pull them out and put them on your desk and just sit there and be happy about them wherever you are. Yes. I, I, I want to add something. For me, my part of what kind of robbed my joy was my gremlin. For for a long time, my joy was about like getting one over other people or making like jokes okay. with my friend. Door, like, door, like, door, 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 door. That was not your joy. Yeah. That was my grandma. Don't joke. say, don't say that. You said part of my joy was getting one over another person. That's not your joy. Yeah. That was my gremlin joy. Yeah. So make always just hold the distinction. It's not your joy. And I get it. Each of us, me, I had to go through that for a few years, two or three years, because there were I didn't have a trainer. But yes, what you're saying is really important. Yes, there's a couple of years where you can't, you have to inner navigate. Your joy and gremlin joy. And don't mix those up. But then right then when you said it, Thor, you mixed it up. It was confusing. You said, my joy was one over another person. That is not your joy. That is your gremlin joy. 
And it could be that for years, most of your life, you had no joy because your gremlin owned it all. And so it takes some work to just, you know, to unmix that territory. So I'm glad you brought this up. So did you want to say something else? I interrupted you when you were talking. Yeah, kind of like I see it also in modern culture, the joy that we see also in movies and stuff, it's this, the gremlin joy. That's what we see in like soccer games, like we won and stuff like that. So I just wanted to bring this distinction when we practice that. Thank you very much. Yeah, the subtlety of, you know, taking some kind of weird plastic thing and clipping it in your hair because you like it or, you know, or carrying around paper clips. I love paper clips. I, I use, I use paper clips all the time for all kinds of different things. I bend them up and make hooks. And, you know, when I sew up uh, books to send in the possibility book group, you know, I, I try to use no plastic. So I find a piece of cardboard, fold it over, get a piece of, of twine, you know, this non-plastic string, this organic, and I, and I use a, a paper clip for a needle. And I sew up the outside, the three sides around my book. And I just tie a knot. And never once has the post office rejected that. It's a solid, clean uh, sewing up around the outside. It looks really beautiful. So, so I love, I carry paper clips around all the time and I pick them up off the ground. I mean, like stuff like this, find out, carry some stuff around that's you, that is a, lets your neurotic, again, Chloe said neurotic, almost neurotic joyfulness come out. And I don't recommend carrying around your teddy bear. Okay, like if you, you have this you know, big teddy bear and you start carrying around a teddy bear, I don't recommend it. You could do it for a while. Do it and see what happens. <laughs> but how many people still have a teddy bear? Not enough. Okay, okay, Michael. Okay, Jasmine. <laughs> Show us that. Show us that. It's a whale. Oh, it's a giant shark or something. God, it's a, it's a whale. Wow. All right, well, maybe you should carry that around. I think, I think people would get off in there. <laughs> Thank you for the fine demonstration. Yeah, that was perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm not done reading this experiment yet. Let's see. Yes, okay. All right. So if you're watching children under the age of three, if their innocence has not been shattered, then their actions are fueled oftentimes by pure emotions or pure feelings, which could be also pure joy. That joy is still in you somewhere. It's in there. Find it. That is this experiment. Find that thing and let it shine out loud. It's not a silent thing. This kind of stuff is not silent. You let, you let that joy shine out loud with your voice and your body and your facial expressions attached. That is experiment number two. I mean, could you even stand being around somebody who was doing these experiments? That's a valid question. I mean, if you cannot stand around being with somebody else doing these kinds of experiments, how are you going to expect them to stand it when you're doing these experiments? Gosh, maybe maybe you should get a color TV and 
and sit down and just watch the TV together instead. That was a bad joke. <laughs> what I mean is, no, I mean, okay. I mean, there's this great, a great website called Become, Become an Experimenter. Okay. Um, you should, you should do that. You should do that website. It's got experiments. It's got context. It's a great website. And it's about becoming an experimenter. Become an experimenter. And it's an identity shift. It's required for you to be an have an identity shift that you don't get to be a human being, a man, a woman, a student, a consultant, a programmer. Your identity shift is to become an experimenter. So people, and you introduce yourself at the next job interview or party or whatever, you know, shake somebody's hand and they go, I, you just say, hello, I'm, my name's Clinton, I'm an experimenter. That's it, you, all, you shove it in there, I'm an experimenter. You look in the mirror and you're brushing your teeth, I'm an experimenter. They go, people say, what do you mean you're an experimenter? You say, that's a very dangerous question to ask me right now because, because you're now part of my next experiment and then do an experiment with them. And so, so, but if you don't, if you don't have that as part of your identity, you, you won't get access to the nonlinear possibility required to generate extraordinary relating. You need to be an experimenter because sometimes the magic works and sometimes it doesn't. I bet. Yeah, I just had a real time uh, experience right now. I was so joyful about finding the uh, boom box to connect it with the sound so that I don't have to wear the headphones. And because I was so happy about it, I was putting it very loud. And I assumed that because you were talking about so many, yeah, there was so much gold in the space that also my parents who were in the next room would enjoy it because they were close, uh, sitting close to it. And then at some point, one got very angry at me saying, does it have to be so loud? And then I put it softer. And then you started speaking about coaching your joy or whatever. And that's what I did. Like, it is exactly what I did. Uh, and there was this child uh, in me like, oh, it's not okay to be so excited about it. And it's not okay to assume that everybody else is so excited about it and yeah it's yeah it's so sad to see how much um yeah also what Dora said like there's this um remnant joy that is accepted it's okay to laugh about the fourth premiere in England or whatever it's so relevant to me but it's that's okay to make fun of that but it's not it's yeah it's kind of shocking to have this um as an yeah to to, to because i'm experimenting since i'm decontaminating my child ego said and my grandmother ego said for my adult ego said my experiment is to stay to stay in the space to be with everything that comes And what I realized is that this squelching, my joy, made me mm. kind of spice in. Sorry. 
Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, to to tune into this kind of psychopathic joy. That's not um, the thing that makes me happy. Yeah. Mm. Allowing me to be there with this. I'm so glad you're doing the decontamination stuff. It's so important and so confusing if you don't do it. It's such an interference, really so confusing. So thank you for doing that. Wow. Kalista? You're muted, Kalista. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is an experiment that I am going to start right now. I want to express my joy and let go of the fear of showing joy. When this, before we started, Anne Chloe mentioned about that it was early in the morning for us to for here, 6 a.m. And I wanted to respond to her and say, it's wonderful. The morning is my favorite time of the day. I've been up since 3 a.m. and it's just, most precious time. <laughs> so this is a great time to have this call. So I want to express what's inside. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, each one of these, I think you're getting the idea, each one of these experiments is essentially world changing. So we're moving a little fast. Um, I hope that you embrace all of them. And even the ones that are distasteful or frightening or bizarre, that you embrace them because they're, they come from a lot of a rich, they come from a rich background of having produced gold, of produced really valuable results. And so the, we each lock ourselves in the kind of neurotic box situation as a survival strategy. And, and the world looks distasteful to us in different ways. And so the point being that who we essentially are is not constrained to our survival strategy but the survival strategies, reactions to possibly new behaviors or trying new things has this life or death imperative locked into it. So we react, gosh, forget that, or that's embarrassing, or this is too much, or this is too weird. Like these reactions that come from our habitual survival strategy are our prison. And so this is why I'm encouraging us to actually do these experiments and you'll see that because there are different dimensions, you can be doing multiple ones at the same time. And, and that provides different food for, for, for you. Different bodies get different food, different, you get, yeah, fed in ways that perhaps you haven't been fed much before. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to do all the experiments. I'm gonna read number three now, experiment number three. If the waiter brings you something different from what you ordered, 
do not explain that a mistake was made. Calling it a mistake is questioning the intelligence of the Earth Coincidence Control Office. I mean, hey, you don't want to insult the Earth Coincidence Control Office. They'll give you a job in a sewer treatment plant or something like that. No, they'll give you a, a house with a, a dog that never shuts up next door or something like that. You do not want to insult the Earth Coincidence Control Office because they're in charge of everything. So moving. So, so the waiter brings you something that you did not order. Do not send it back. Do not complain. Okay, that's, that's experiment number one anyway. So who knows? Maybe your body needs vitamin W or weird plant proteins that were not contained in your original order. Probably this is, you know, the universe is giving you what your body needs or you're saving somebody else on the next table from choking on a steak or something. I mean, you never know. You just you never know. So when, when this weird thing arrives at your table and the waiter puts it down or waitress puts it down in front of you, just go, thank you. And, and instead of sending your order back to the kitchen and say, I said, no cheese. I said, vegetarian. I said, you know, more bacon, I, whatever, whatever your thing is, you just go, thank you. And then you eat the whole thing. Like, uh, change your mind about what you ordered so that what you get is what you ordered. So you decide, yes, wow, a surprise from the universe. This is so much better than what I ordered. I mean, the thing, the point is, choose what you are served. This is an incredibly powerful power that you can have. You can choose what is. I mean, it's this amazing thing. It's like if you go to the ice cream store and you say, you know, I'd like licorice ice cream. They say, oh, all we have is chocolate. You go, no, 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 no. You used to have licorice. You have a sign outside. It says licorice. And I came here for the licorice ice cream. They go, all we have is chocolate. What's your day going to be like? It's going to be shit. And so what this experiment is, is an empowerment experiment where they say, all we have is chocolate. And you go, you know what? I've changed my mind. What I really want is chocolate ice cream. Then what will your day be like? Who has the power? You or the ice cream store? You know, that's what this is about. So this is about you choosing what is rather than, you know, being a victim of some kind of quote unquote mistake. You know, this. so choose what's served and make your choosing invisible to others. So it's like, it'll blow people away. You know, people around you, they all know what you order, right? You all, everybody knows that everybody else orders. We're just Snoopy that way. I think it's, I don't know what it is, some kind of caveman survival strategy, but we're all, we all know what everybody else ordered. And then when you get something that you didn't order, you go, mm, God, gosh, that fried liver. I was waiting for this all day. And you just start going in for it. And people go, whoa. What's going on with you? You know, what's, and you don't say anything about it. You don't, you just make it invisible. You're not a victim if you have changed your mind. It builds matrix in you to eat what is served to you rather than what you ordered. And this also applies to life at, at large. It also applies to life at large. 
So this is a, the example is being at the restaurant, but it's, there are many, many cases, probably almost every day where you can do this experiment where something happens, you know, you want to get on a train, the train goes by, you miss the train, you go, ah, no. You know, no, you really wanted the next train. You choose the next train. You know, you call up the office, the government office or whatever, and it's busy or doesn't go through and you go, I didn't want to talk with them anyway. Or whatever the thing is, if you just go with it and keep choosing what is, then you're in the, this flow and you're, you don't have this resistance to being moved around in unexpected ways. And then so that means that opportunities can come to you without your resistance. This is fab and it, this includes opportunities for relating. So this is a fabulous experiment to do. And Chloe. A couple of things I, I want to say about this. However, that doesn't include choosing to be abused by gremlin, gremlin moves, you know, from your partner, from your team or from you know, somebody uh, putting too much salt in your food, you know, and then, you know, they will feel glad if you eat the too much salt and, and it's just abusing yourself. And so this is really not what we're talking about, or what the book is offering or the experiment is. And um, I mean, I, and I had this example of today, I, I storm in the kitchen for lunch and, and somehow I say, I'm going to make lunch today. And I had no idea what I was, I was going to do, but I, I bought these weird vegetables here in Vietnam and I was like, I need to cook these things. And I, so I throw them in the pan and I, and I, you know, coconut oil and soy sauce. And I don't know what I'm throwing all this stuff in the pan. And then I said to Clinton, you know, lunch is ready. <laughs> and then Clinton, who, you know, finally had pancake for breakfast, you know, finally something normal is like faced with this lunch of weird vegetables from Vietnam you know, and ate the whole thing. And, and it was, and what I, and the other thing I wanted to say is that- I, well, yeah. I have to yeah. tell you about this because these vegetables were hard to chew and they were about this long. <laughs> and so I ate them on my plate and I tried to shove them in my mouth and then I, I, I had to start chewing and they're just, I can't bite them off. And so I'm trying to talk to Aunt Chloe because they're hanging out like these greens that are hanging down on my plate and I'm just chewing like a cow. You try to chew it up enough to get swallow it, you know, it's slowly going up into my mouth. And I'm trying to talk to her a long time. And I, I was going, I'm so grateful that she uh, saved me from having to sharpen our knife so often because she didn't use to cut up the vegetables. And I was grateful about saving me the work of having to sharpen the knife after cutting up the vegetables. Instead, we just <laughs> hanging out of our mouth for a long time while we're chewing them. And I, I and that reminded me of a moment where we were, anyway, the, the other part of the experiment, especially at a no, restaurant. come on. Well, you can't drop <laughs> okay, that. I can't what drop that. that. No, we were, we were at a cafe with a friend and exactly this happened. Another coffee came to her order and she says, oh, no, 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 this is, you know, the wrong coffee. And, and Clinton, actually, you said, actually, what we're paying for here is the space we're not really paying for the food, we're paying for it to have a space of connection and love and creation and extraordinary. And, and then the food is whatever, it's, it's like, that's what you have, you have to order something. I mean, I've, 
you know, I've never tried that experiment of going into a restaurant and saying, I'm, I'm going to pay five euros to just sit here and I don't want anything from you. Right? Maybe I could try it. No, but you have to order something. And so it's also part of this. It's like, what is at the center of your life? You know, is it, is it the food that you ordered or is it the space that you're in with the person that you ordered the food with? And yeah. So, I mean, and so, and, and actually the, the weirdness of the food today made the space extraordinary. We're, we're both just chewing on these greens. <laughs> that was it. Thank you. It's kind of, it's a funny thing to keep digging out examples from my personal life and, and putting them on the table because uh, they're really personal at the same time, they're actual examples. And I, I think I'm so excited that we get to have these conversations because the things we're talking about are so real or, and so immediate. Mm -hmm. uh, could you write this website on there for mm -hmm. people and Chloe? It's called Immediatism. <clears throat> there's a, there's a, an essay that I put on a website called Immediatism that has to do with how to, how to be with now, how to, how to make use of the reality of the immediate. And it, it's, it's almost like a, religion or something like you're in the religion people ask you what religion you are and you say i'm in a religion of immediatism but just means you have a really small now but it the essay empowers your capacity to celebrate it uh the immediacy of now and so it goes really right along with what we've been talking about i hope hope some people read that uh, it's almost an obscure uh booklet that I found that I stole the I copied. So I didn't write this. It's pulled right up. Do you remember the author's name? Okay, he's got a pseudo pseudonym that he uses, but it's a great little essay about empowering yourself. Okay, I'm about to read experiment number four. Can, before really I, wait, if I do, you want to say something? Yeah, I I'm chewing on this question of how like what is the difference between doing this experiment and just being adaptive yes i'm so good at being adaptive and adapting mm -hmm. to everything that happens in a space so i'm always doing that experiment if, if i'm in this like in this adaptive mode of the good girl so yeah mm -hmm. okay so i don't really take a stand for what i want i just accept what's happening in the space like this is the extreme of the good girl box so maybe it's just not the experiment to do at the time. And, and I'm chewing on that because I think there's actually, it isn't the same. There's something, there's other flavor and like this choosing to, yeah, to, to not send the food back. Um, yeah, can, can you just say one or two more things about that? What is, for, what is this fine line between just being adaptive or... Yeah, yeah, being with what is and choosing what is. I mean, I think you already started to mention it, but it's the adaptiveness is, in a way, it's like you're sleeping. Most of the time, you don't even realize how adaptive you are. It's this, this unconscious go. It's like to, to go with the flow. It's like, oh, 
Okay, I'm gonna let that one slide. Uh, okay, I'm not gonna say anything. And the, the invitation is like, it's choosing. It's like, this is what I want. You know, and, and, and you might even wanna, you know, to find this line of uh, what you want or what you don't want is try to choose something 100%. You just choose it 100%. And it's like, okay, if you're abusing yourself, it's like, then, then you can have this experience of like, I'm completely abusing myself. But if you, the adaptiveness is like this, it's like this, um, it's like a sleep mode. It's like, you don't even feel that you're, you're abusing yourself. It's sort of like you give up, you give up or something. Maybe I have an example for that. Yesterday, no, before yesterday, I had to give a conference for my work and I have a German box. I'm very punctual. I don't forget those stuff. I forgot it. I simply forgot it. And I chose, chose consciously uh, when, when the, uh, the lady wrote me an email to, to accept it. But my adaptiveness would have been to, 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 to say excuses, how sorry I am and, and all this stuff. And I just decided, okay, I accept that. I accept that I forgot. And, and it was not gremlin. It, it, I don't know what it was. I decided to, 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 to choose. I don't know what it was. I accept. I didn't excuse. I said, uh, uh, I, I said, if you want, I can do it another time. And they accept it. And uh, for, for me, what was the goal of that was when I put on the phone, not to fall into um, shame or guilt and just to be happy, to, to decide experiment number two and to be happy what, with what was is, and it worked. And it worked. It was uh, that's today. That what happened. Thank can I, can Thank I say you. something before? Just to okay. add to what I was saying before, um, it's like I. There is really a a difference of, like, to to be adaptive, which means to abuse yourself. Has, is a form of stress, is a form of uncomfortableness. And evolving or transforming or choosing what is or doing an experiment has a form of uncomfortableness. It is also a form of stress. And to be able to distinguish those two, that these sensations are different. The sensation of abusing yourself and the sensation of evolving are different. And so that experiment of choosing could help you ever maybe have a clearer experiential distinction in you about those two. And I, I really want to explain something that perhaps we have not been emphasizing enough in this space, which is that this entire space is predicated upon first position as a possibilitator, centered, grounded, bubbled, clean bubble, sort out, holding a golden workspace, 
and your bright principles called in. This is first position. And, and all of this only happens from there. So if you're in first position, if you're, there's no, there's no way you're gonna be adaptive. Sort out clarity about whose space is what space. Your bubble is clean. You don't have voices in your head. You shoot the voices, you, know, you shoot those things. They fly around, you just shoot them. So it's not about, there's, there's not, there's not uh, a, the purpose of, of survival is not available. It's not a survival conversation. It's a living conversation. So if, you're, if there's an adaptiveness happening, forget, forget every, everything we're talking about. You cannot do these experiments. If you're being adaptive, forget these experiments. Cannot do them. It's a completely different domain. So this starts off center grounded bubble, you know, with your sort out and your resources jacked in, and then you can do these experiments. So that makes a huge difference if in your life, in the way you are. If you're walking through the world being adaptive, how can you do experiments? You cannot. If you're walking through the world in a cavitated space of your own culture, and and then you can do experiments. It's it's like this is why this identity shift is so important. You cannot walk through the world as Joseph Bethel or Catherine Yale or Theresa Meyer. You cannot walk through the world like that. Cannot. Because that is a known entity. It is a personality. It is a script. You know the script of those persons. It is dead. It is a mechanical machine. And then you're, you, what we're talking about is walking through the world as a wizardress, a sorceress, you know, a, a warrior's queen goddess woman. You know, this is, this is what you walk through the world at. This is where the extraordinary starts. It starts there. So uh, maybe, maybe next study groups, we will we'll just kind of do our center grounding bubble core warm up more clearly so that it's, obvious what we're talking about, but that the whole, the whole from the rest of this book and the rest of the study group is based on start, that's starting point. That's where we begin. And then the adaptive thing just doesn't even exist there. Does that help, Ava Dalbert? I want to say something about this, uh forgetting and choosing and um, I'm I think when I say I, I have forgotten that I've forgotten something then this is uh, this is a, a kind of a victim story because when I forget something I it just happened somewhere in the black box of my head it's gone and I, I can do something about it I can't cannot do something about it. And I was thinking about what if, if I don't use that expression anymore that I have forgotten and instead I say, I have decided or I have, I have chosen to forget that and to take the responsibility and to say, I have chosen that, I have chosen to forget. Um, I mean, because people know it's a lie. If you don't say that, it's a lie. 
Yeah, it's a lie. Because when you, for example, when you book a flight to Miami and you're planning that for one year, you will never forget to go to the airport and take that flight. Mm -hmm. You will be there. You will be there one hour before. And if you and, and so when you forget something, it was not important for you. Ready. That's it. It's yeah. So you choose, you choose that. Thank you. Joseph, I saw that you had your hand up, but Anna Maria, you were gonna say something earlier. Yes, uh, now with the first position perspective, it's it's changed its relevance somehow for, I'm not always in first position. It came to me on this difference between being adaptive and choosing to want what is. What I noticed in myself is for, I've been working somehow with my range of tolerance to increase my range of tolerance. And I've noticed that um, when I'm adaptive, even if I am, I'm choosing consciously to, to do some things which are abusive towards myself, I'm sensing this discomfort, as you mentioned it, and it can be from working to increase my range of tolerance or not. But I imagine, I don't have yet the experience of it, I imagine when it is to fully choose to want what is, I wouldn't feel that inner pressure or inner discomfort, I would say a resentment somehow, every time I'm choosing something which I'm not fully wanting it as being adaptive or increasing my range of tolerance, it builds some sort of resentment. So I'm looking forward to see if it is possible and I believe it is possible to choose fully without sensing that, that building up of the resentment. Yeah. I I'm afraid because really this experiment is not at all about building tolerance to being abused. Really not at all, at all. It's like this, this is not the game, the, the, the game of building tolerance to being abused. This is like, it's like, it's psychopathic. It's really yeah. self-torture or something like that. And so it could be that the, the point of your experiment and the Maria for you is to is to build intolerance complete intolerance to abuse to just be a no to be a, a complete no and a complete stop because i think you would use this experiment the choose experiment as a way to feed this this self-torture um, survival strategy that you have yeah. i mean it's it's inner navigating. It's really on the surface, it seems really simple, but in reality, it's complex. And one of the most complex elements of this is this question, which I is talking. And so like if I, my, my box needs to wear, you know, silk, because then I'm respecting myself and I need to have, I need to have only pure silver cutlery, and I only drive in either Bentleys or Mercedes-Benz cars, and I only drink water that comes from the Himalayan Alps, and otherwise I'm abusing myself. 
you see what I'm saying? It's like, okay, which I is talking? Which self is, is, is um, calculating the value system? And so it requires each of us to take this kind of radical responsibility for noticing, okay, is my box just being this neurotic, insane, um, terrified uh, reaction thing that if I don't, if this isn't the way it is, I'm abusing myself? Or is it the other way around where if I don't allow myself to be abused, I won't survive or nobody will love me and therefore I have to let myself be abused just to survive. So it's a sticky territory and I'm glad we're being adamant about it. And is I just will repeat what Anne Chloe said, which is this is not about tolerating abuse. At the same time, you know, some of how many people are thirsty right now? How many people, how many people are thirsty? How many people have to go pee? Okay, so how many people, so, so there's a way that some people would think you're abusing yourself by not drinking water and not going pee. What you're doing is helping to hold this elegant, exquisite, extraordinary space with a bunch of genius edge workers around the world so that we can have this conversation that's precious to us. And I'll get a drink later and I'll pee later, you know, but am I abusing myself? No, I'm paying attention. I'm participating. And, and if it got to the point where it would be abusing myself to not drink water or not go pee, I would handle it. But, but it's not about this, there's this level of comfort, you know? And so I'm, <clears throat> it's a, it's a clearly an adult, distinction or ability to discern is, am I abusing myself or not? Am I allowing myself to be abused or not? Is this working? Am I, and, and wizardresses and sorceresses and warrioresses, you know, they endure different things for different reasons. And I'm sure you can all think of stories about enduring, you know, this, the way to your path or the way to your, Destiny required discipline or it required extending yourself beyond the comfort zone or it required taking risks and, and or looking bad, whatever, going beyond your limitations in some domains and because you had a meta purpose, a different purpose. And to accomplish that purpose, you had to leave the ordinary behind. And so I'm... I love this conversation. I love these questions because they're so central to creating extraordinary together. And I think it's, I hope it's a conversation you have with the people that you're relating with, ongoingly negotiating and having this kind of conversation with the people that you relate with because it's an intimacy. It's, a, it's extraordinary intimacy to have this kind of vulnerability with each other. So I appreciate that we're diving into this. And Chloe, see, I ended exactly at, at 10 o'clock. Well, thank you all for being here. Please have fun with your experiments. We want to hear stories and keep going and talk to each other and call each other up and, and be a problem and be a possibility and make a difference for each other. It really 
really adds in. So complexify the conversation and have a great week. We'll see you next week. Woohoo! Ciao. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you all. Thank Bye. you guys. Ciao. Thank you.